Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Este episodio de Salud Podcast es traído a ti por McDonald's, sirviendo orgullosamente a la comunidad desde 1965. Y uno de los recuerdos que más tengo guardados es cada viernes después de que mi madre nos recogiera a mí y a mis hermanos de la escuela, nos íbamos a McDonald's para nuestra cajita feliz. Ese momento al abrir tu cajita y ver el monito que te salía era de pura diversión. Y uno de los recuerdos que más me resuenan cuando me Acuerdo de McDonald's y por eso me encanta. What's up, y'all? Another week has gone by. That means it's Tuesday y otro capítulo de Salud Podcast. I want to take the time to thank everybody who listened to the episode of Devani Escobar last week. We had so many downloads, so much love, so many people shared it. Y gracias. Uh, it was uh, an episode que se me ocurrió de último momento. I was like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know we need to tell the story. So thank you to everyone who uh, listened to the episode. And the episode is called Devani Escobedo. Devani Escobar is the uh, the girl who, who unfortunately was murdered. Y Escobedo is because of the hotel that she was found in, Hotel Escobedo. Just because some people were like, wait a minute, her last name is different. And that is why. But today's episode is a little bit different. We're going back to what we love to do, getting to know people. Because I think storytelling is one of the wonderful things that we have here at Salud Podcast. And the more we get to know other amazing Latinos, the more we're impacted, the more we are motivated, and the more we are captivated by how amazing we are as Latinos aquí en los Estados Unidos. Also, one more thing I would really appreciate if you guys could share the podcast, follow us on Instagram, and do all that fun stuff. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, lo que ustedes quieran. It really does help, especially as Latino podcasters. We gotta, we gotta blow up, we gotta show up, and we gotta show some love and support para todos. Without further ado, let's go ahead and start, and let's do what it do. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Salud Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Quintero, and I am so excited uh, because I finally get to have this incredible y chingon hombre on my podcast. And uh, just to kind of chat it up, just because we've met once, and I think every other interaction that it's that I've had with him has just been via social media, and obviously because there's something that unites us and we'll go ahead and talk about that uh later on in the podcast but i want to go ahead and give a round welcome to mi hermano fabio peña como andas hermano uh, what's up man i'm doing great thank you so much for having me on here fabio over here he's a part of my fraternity sigma lambda beta i basically want to start off getting to know you a little bit more hermano entonces cuéntame de donde son tus papas because i know you're all the way up in washington right si no me yeah. equivoco 
Mm-hmm. My family is from Jalisco, Mexico. I was actually born in Villa Corona. Uh, it's like about 45 minutes away from Guadalajara. Uh, but I came to the States when I was two years old. And so I, I was basically a baby. I wasn't raised over there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, my family moved to uh, Moxie, Washington. That's where we settled in. Uh, it's on the eastern side of the state. And I was, uh, yeah, I was raised over there. There's quite a bit of family over there from the same pueblo. And so I was fortunate enough to, you know, to grow with my roots, people from the same hometown, um, you know, attend family gatherings and learn all the traditions and um, really just taking pride of being a Mexican as I grew up. So as a part of an immigrant family, like I would assume, and this was a total shock for me, right? This was a total shock for me until I had the opportunity to uh, like travel a little bit more. I would have assumed that uh, everybody from Mexico, especially would settle in California, but then come to find out uh, I mean, my second choice would have been Texas because it's closer to the border as well. Pero Chicago and Washington, those are huge, like from Guadalajara and Michoacan areas. Is there a specific reason why your family went over there? Or why a lot of them went so up north? Yeah, for sure. I don't know. <clears throat> I was always curious about that. I, I asked my dad, I was like, why don't we move to like L.A. or something? Because apparently we had family like in uh, Santana. Santana. Oh, yeah. Santa Ana. yeah. OK, yeah. I, I don't know much about it, but. They said we had some extended family there and then also family in Utah. But some of my close, close friends of my parents, they had already moved to the States. Um, I mean, to the States, obviously, in, in Moxie. And so that's why they decided to move. So, yeah, we've been there since. How far is that from Seattle? Uh, it's about like two and a half hours. Damn. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. No, I have family. Yeah, I have family in Roy. In Roy, okay. Washington. So that's that was like I said interesting. So when I very when I went to Washington for the very first time, that's where that's where I went. But um, it's interesting how your life has developed in Washington. Was there a lot of disconnect with your culture? I know you said there was a lot of people from Mexico that settled there, but I don't know much of the population in, in Washington. If it's more, um, how do I say, Caucasian? influenced uh-huh. or bien latino porque pues aquí en los angeles it's super latino based yeah. and you can see it every corner that you turn to unless you go to beverly hills of course <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah i would say at least like in yakima it's it's pretty large latino based um obviously it's grown over the years but um mainly in like caucasian um when i went to seattle for school that's when it started getting more diverse um, you know, I thought everybody was just Mexican where I was raised. And so I referred to every place as Mexican. But that's when I started learning about different cultures, um, like in Central America and um, especially joining the fraternity. Obviously, there's brothers of all different cultures. And so um, that's where I was really learning about that. And I wanted to learn more about my own. And so did you ever feel disconnected, even though you were born in Mexico, raised in the United States? Como que de, ni de aquí, ni de allá. Yeah, so there were some times. Um, you know, as I grew up, you know, the more times that we were visiting Mexico, um, the friends that I had met, like playing soccer in the streets, they started to treat me a little bit differently, you know, um, they're like, oh, this guy's from El Norte, you know, muy, muy. Um, I don't know, just I started noticing some tensions and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not cool here, you know. Yeah. Um, and then obviously growing up, like here in Washington, there was just like a lot of people who um, they didn't always like go to Mexico. And so 
um, that's where I did feel some sort of a disconnect there. Um, but thankfully, you know, we still carried a lot of Mexican traditions in the household. You know, we were still told to speak Spanish, um, you know, all the, the bailes, the quinceañeras. And Are you the middle child, oldest, youngest? I'm the middle child. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and we're all three years apart. Dang. How was that? Was your older brother also born in Mexico? Yeah, so he was born in Mexico as well. Um, my youngest, the youngest brother, he was born here in the States um, in 97, so. Hey, my my youngest brother was born in 97 as well. Oh, what? Uh, wait, yeah, what year are you? What year are you? I'm 93. Oh, damn, so then I am older. I'm 91. I was born 91. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, dang. Was there, is there a disconnect between your younger brother that you would say and the Mexican culture or todavía lo lleva muy presente and versus you and your older brother? Yeah, for sure. Um well, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I could really speak for them. Um you know, I think well, like we we all like kind of grew with the same connection, I guess, the same ties to to everything, but I feel like I started taking like pride and wanting to learn my own culture when I went to college, you know, especially like joining the fraternity, um, being involved in the, the Latino community. No, I want to take it back to the very first time that uh, I met you. And I'm pretty sure it was around this time. I remember uh, you guys, and this is how crazy and wild and at the same time, stupid we were back in college. Cause I don't know if you could say that you were stupid, but you don't pendejo way. And like, I was just down with my, with my fraternity brothers and they got the cuento. So you guys had an event and we all know what event we're talking about. Like you guys were going to have a new uh, line and whatnot. So you guys are like, Hey, come and join. And then we're going to have like a little party at the, at the end. And I was all like, Oh, okay. Um, I was in SoCal. You guys were in Seattle or yeah. close to Seattle. And the event was on Friday. You guys told us on Wednesday. So then I just talked to my other fraternity brothers from like the school and we were like, um, y'all down to go to Washington? Yeah, sure. The event's on Friday. All right. Uh, how, Friday night. Let's leave um, Friday morning. Sure. How long is the drive? It shouldn't, it's not going to take us a little while. Like if, if we feel San Francisco seven hours, it shouldn't be that much further. Well, it was 17 hour drive, 17 hour drive. And we left hella early. And actually, no, we left Thursday night and it was five of us. And we all rotated driving like four or five hours. And we were so tired. And it's so funny. We had the youngest one so the youngest one, I was 20, 21. The youngest one was barely, he had turned barely 18. He had to drive through a blizzard, a hey. blizzard. We don't, we here in SoCal don't know what a blizzard is, right? <laughs> we don't have chains. We have a rented car, but we made it a Roy Washington at 1 p.m., slept for a couple of hours, and then went to go meet you guys in Seattle. That was a whole ass adventure. And then we drove back to SoCal the next day. Yeah, that's down. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good time though, especially like in those days. Those were like the three dangerous words. Are you down? Who yeah. knows what would happen? <laughs> yes, it's like don't even test me, right? Yeah, trust. I know that's like where you're test you test your your masculinity at, at, at times. <laughs> so one of the things, and speaking of masculinity that you do is you're a huge a spokesperson about a positive masculinity in men. How did that all start? I don't know. That that's a good question because um I think it was at first, you know, we were sharing like the stories of other first gens, the first gen cuentos that obviously you participated in. And then I was just starting to reflect on my own experiences. And some of them were obviously being in the fraternity. Um, you know, at the time, I always 
thought about my own masculinity and um, how I showed up um, in different situations and different parts of me coming out, uh, especially when I was like at home, like in the family household and how things would change. And so that's when I started talking about my true feelings. And um, the best way I knew how was obviously just to use the platform um, and, you know, create some reels out of it. When did you start dancing? Because that's another interesting thing that I haven't seen most people do. You incorporate dance with positive masculinity and then obviously tearing down all these stigmas in the Latinx culture. But you incorporate it with Latino music and then dance. Yeah, the whole dancing that started probably mid last year. Um, At the time, I was still trying to find like how to create content that was going to be more engaging and I, I tried a lot of different things you know obviously like the carousels and the lives um, but then the reels just started to become more um, effortless just because I could just dance be myself be silly and whatever would come out I'll just post it um, versus like other posts like I need to like force myself to be creative and um, that's just where I wanted to you know continue doing that but obviously on Instagram you see a lot of trends you know I think the first one I did was like a Cardi B a Cardi B trend and that was really stepping out of my comfort zone there but you know people seem to like it and I just kept on doing it yeah were you when you first started posting videos of you dancing were you kind of scared being judged yeah definitely man it was really scary at first because a lot of the the people that I follow you know they're obviously like the day one supporters a lot of them I went to school with and they know me like before this page and so I always thought like man what are they gonna think of me now I'm gonna look like a clown you know but a lot of uh new people that you know that follow the page you know to my surprise were very supportive and so that really kept me going. Some people actually went out of the way to send me like a message about how they found that real valuable or relatable. And so, you know, I, I try to focus on those things that keep, that keep me going. Uh, I want to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly in regards to uh, masculinity and how it has helped us become better men. But some things that uh, we learned within the fraternity that uh, we could better as men and Look, you're already drinking water. You're like, oh, you're about oh, to. Oh, here we go, man. <laughs> <laughs> <What's that? laughs> yeah, so talking to me, the first impression when you hear the word fraternity, because you just posted a reel not too long ago. I think it was a couple of weeks ago um, that you, you said, but just don't tell your mom that it's for life because if not, it, it's, a, it's a cult type of stuff. So what were your first impressions about a fraternity? And when did you join? Did you join your freshman year, sophomore, senior yeah, I joined my freshman year. And dude, honestly, it was because I watched Stomp the Yard. Uh, the, the, they, they were doing the stepping. And so I thought that was badass. I was like, I want to do this. So um, I totally had the wrong impression of what they really were. Um, obviously, I attended the informationals, checked out the different fraternities on campus. Um, and then I found the betas. Um, a lot of them, I just, you know, we were from the same uh, hometowns here in the state and in the States and here in uh, Yakima in Washington. And so I figured I had something to, you know, connect with a lot of them. And to be honest, they were really cool because when I checked out a different one, I won't say the name <laughs> and cause any drama, but um, they were really like rude to me. And I just, no me cayeron bien, you know, from that point, on, I was like, no, why am I going to go with them if they're not like, if they're not nice, like these other people. So yeah. I ended up going with, uh, with the betas, but uh, yeah. No, no, it's funny that you mentioned it. I mean, I don't mind saying Lamp Theta Phi for that was my uh, my experience, but because we didn't have Sigma Lambda Beta in in on campus yet, so I went to school in two thousand nine. That was my freshman year. I graduated, um, obviously high school in two thousand nine. Fall I started, 
And when I went to look around, like when everybody was tabling, well, they only had uh, Lamb Theta Phi, which is another uh, fraternity. And at the time, not saying that's what they look like, obviously, a lot of what we base ourselves on is uh, um, appearance. And unfortunately, I think in the Latino community, we were conditioned to think like, hey, if it's baggy pants or they're bald and whatnot, then they must be cholos, you know? So mm -hmm. I always grew up with that mentality, that notion. So when they invited me over to table and whatnot, it was mainly that's what I saw. Later, I learned that that was also part of what they do. Yeah. <laughs> type of stuff. Uh, and I don't want to get too into that. But I was like, whoa, if I bring these types of people to my house, like my mom's going to be like, what are you? <laughs> what are you in right now? What are you up to? Um, so there, there was a lot of that. It wasn't until 2010 that they joined, that they started on campus, but they weren't really known. I didn't join until my senior year. Oh. So I was like a late bloomer into this whole frat thing. I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, this shit's not for me. Like, I don't need them. And then I explored everything that uh, the campus had to offer in terms of academically and academic clubs. And then I'm like, shit, I'm just missing the social piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, I found them. What was something in terms of the, ma the positive masculinity that you saw and you enjoyed about the fraternity? Yeah, I mean, one of the things obviously is, you know, the way they carry themselves as, you know, as gentlemen, as respectful and, um, you know, just being somebody uh, with good morals. And so that is something that always, you know, fell right with me. I really li like that and appreciated that. Um, you know, there's like a stigma with a lot of fraternity people um, being compared to like jocks in high school or something, right? Just being players and, um, you know, just being that type person. And yeah, that stuff was around there. But, you know, at least with the with a circle of friends that I had, you know, I felt like it was uh, good for the most part. And so that was that was good. Uh, did you ever see yourself in any situation that you were like, this is not the way things should be handled? Like in terms of what, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, that was very vague. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be not so specific, but maybe something that just didn't sit well with you. And it could be just guy talk, what they say is guy talk, you know, degrading women. Um, and you're just like, oh, obviously that was the culture maybe way back when, but now it just feels very uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think there were times, obviously, and I was obviously part of those conversations and even partaking in them, like at that at that time, um, a lot of the traditions were inspired, like influenced by the the older bros, right, that were there on campus earlier on. Um, but it got to a point where I just felt like that social scene was just being too distractive and almost too, too toxic for my mental health. And I just wanted to step away, really in regards to everything. Um, I, I was someone who didn't get into my major like my sophomore year when I applied and so that was when I really had to like ponerme en las pilas you know because I if not I wasn't going to graduate and so I started distancing myself at that time and um, yeah a lot of there were a lot of turns ever since. And then how did it make you become the man that you are now? You know I think man that's that's a good question. I think for me it really is just about being true to myself in certain situations. You know, I, I can say that I'm, I'm guilty of being someone who I really was in certain social settings. And I could say that throughout my four years of college, I've definitely, you know, matured in a lot of different ways. Um, 
really just trying not to be someone who I really am not in, in public. You know, when I was uh, joining the fraternity, especially like with my line, I noticed I was trying to be like this cool guy all of a sudden, you know, I started changing the way I was and, you know, years on, I was like, nah, that's not me. You know, I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. So. Yeah, no, I think it happened to me too. I mean, obviously it's interesting because in high school, I didn't have a lot of friends per se, and I didn't have a lot of male friends. Uh, and I had more female friends. And then um, and when I went to college and, and I started making more male friends, I felt like I had to assimilate some type of role or like alpha male or try to a certain extent be a dick. And 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 you, like you said, we get compared to like the jocks of high school. And then you're right. You, you, you get to a point where you're just like, fuck. This is definitely one, not healthy, two, not mm-hmm. who I am and not what I'm trying to represent. And this was all within the circle. Like we, it was always behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell you that a lot of my chapter and the younger ones at some point hate, not hated, disliked me because I, I was, I, I don't want to say confident, definitely, but that confidence was also overbearing as asshole. Yeah, Alex. I don't know if that ever happened to you or. Yeah, dude, it definitely happened. I could totally especially relate with, with the younger ones. You're just yeah. like, <laughs> in the way, like seeing these puzzles, but then you you realize that you you almost I don't want to say like you almost have to become a, a or think parent like, mm-hmm. where where I'm assuming for those listening who have have kids, it's sort of like you try to in like teach the the younger cats like hey this is how we did it you should do it this way come on why aren't you doing it this way ah what the fuck you're hurting like nah and then you have to realize and you come to terms with hey they have to learn on their own yeah yeah Yeah, i i totally agree man every generation is going to be different you know the way one line did one certain thing isn't going to be the same how the rest do it and obviously i know you can probably relate the whole uh the whole procedure with the intake process right of becoming a brother um a lot of chapters have done stuff differently and uh i can i'm glad to say that it came to a point where we started thinking of things that would really be more valuable for the potential members um that way we can actually prove to them that they're going to get uh you know value out of joining that fraternity they're going to get something out of it rather than than rather than just like testing them in different ways that really don't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I think more than anything, uh, and, and I've learned through the years, and I think a lot of us have learned, and it's unfortunate that some older cats want to keep things very, very traditional. And I'm like, that's that's cool that that's the way things were done, but... Mm-hmm there ought to be a better way to do this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Become more progressive you know <laughs> yeah and as times change obviously we're not gonna it, it's sort of like parenting parenting has evolved mm-hmm. parenting continues to evolve antes se daba con la chancla ahora <laughs> se habla con palabras <laughs> and sometimes you need the chancla sometimes you need to you know well, I, i'm not i'm not promoting la chancla everybody i'm just <laughs> all the metaphors sometimes tienes que tener mano dura uh, you know, because sometimes they don't listen the first, second, third, fourth time. And I could speak for myself because I was a very rebellious kid um, that just didn't listen. Entonces, eso pasó. But you definitely grew. Did you feel like 
you were always going to become the man that you were meant that you are now at some point or did the organization fraternity and more importantly the men within it kind of pro- propel that speed um you know i would say probably propel that speed for sure just because you know as a lot of us were taking our school academics more seriously throughout the years you know you could definitely tell that people were like starting to settle down and um you know take what we were meant to be there for more seriously um a lot of people got into relationships so did i you know and um our our perspectives just definitely did change um i knew at some point we'd all just have our shit together at one point you know um we're gonna get through our journeys and graduate because everything was just so confusing you know we just didn't know what it was going to be like in the next year, the following year, uh, just because that's what it's like being a first gen, right? You're still trying to figure it out on yourself there. But eventually I knew that things would be uh, what they are now. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. You do it all without breaking a sweat, like being a boss exec to Tuesday tennis to homework. Why do the kids have so much homework? Family dinners, lunches, brunches, trips to the vet, and a weekend getaway that's anything but a getaway. And you do it all in style. Even when you have back-to-back conference calls on top of the kids' orchestra recitals, not to mention your side hustle. That's why we created the fully reimagined Infiniti QX60. A luxury SUV as functional as it is stylish and as versatile as it is serene. With premium features like a panoramic moonroof, ample cargo space, and available massaging front seats to bring the ease of luxury to your everyday. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60, designed to help you take on life and all the chaos it may come with in style. Learn more at infinityusa.com. Now with extremely limited availability, contact your local retailer for inventory information. ¿Alguna vez has estado listo para sentarte y disfrutar de la televisión y luego te das cuenta que no sabes lo que quieres ver o incluso dónde empezar a buscar opciones? Cox Contour TV te facilita esa decisión con el entretenimiento que amas. Todo en el mismo lugar. Mira, televisión en vivo, programas en demanda, grabaciones de DRV y música. Todo con el sonido de tu voz con el control remoto de Voz Contour. No solo encuentra los programas que estás buscando, sino que también te brinda recomendaciones de romance, aventura o simplemente películas y disfruta. Si eres fanático de los deportes, captura la acción de golf y baloncesto que has estado esperando y obtendrás los puntuajes, estadísticas y resúmenes en tiempo real en la aplicación Contour Sports. Y si te gusta la transmisión, solo dilo para que lo veas en tus aplicaciones de suscripción favoritas como Hulu, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus y más con Contour Streamplay. Obtén más información en cox.com diagonal contour. Both of us growing up in Latino households where we see machismo culture and then joining a fraternity uh, where there's a bunch of testosterone, different personalities, different egos, men. How was it if there was a moment a vulnerability when you saw it what was your instinct or reaction like oh shit there's a different way to approach things as men yeah i think for me i definitely learned a lot from my line brothers you know because obviously throughout the the recruiting process you spend so much time with them you know trying to get through everything and you really build those relationships with them you know that's why we call each other line brothers right um, and it's for life and so 
a couple of my line brothers, you know, they, they, you can tell they were just raised in different, uh, different traditional households. And some of them, I really like that, that they use communication as a tool to, you know, really uh, build and construct relationships. And I feel like growing up like in a Mexican household, sometimes communication isn't there. You know, if, if there's like a, some, some problem going on, usually it's like the dad raising his voice to have the, to say the say, to have a say, you know, the, um, making it the way things should be done. But, you know, I really learned how to communicate with, with my line brothers after that. How has that helped you with the relationship with your father in terms of communication? Because I can say that like, yeah, my dad was a type, like, even though he was wrong, he would raise his voice a lot higher and yell way more just to prove a point for us to shut up. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough, dude. I honestly, I don't have it all figured out because, you know, growing up in the household that I did, it's not like I had this open communicative relationship with my dad, you know, um, really things have been changing like within the last few years um there's this one uh obviously I, I posted on my account earlier this year but my my grandpa had passed away and you know that that was something that was huge to my dad and obviously he's still grieving right now but um you know I just it's it's an example of where I try to be more vulnerable and open our relationship to, you know, to start growing that I, I had told him I loved him for the first time really in person. And, you know, that was something that, you know, I feel like we were both stuck in that moment because I don't know if he could say it back. You know, that's just something that his, my, his dad didn't always tell him like every day, you know? And so that's something that's very new that we're still exploring. Talk to me about that moment. Were you super hesitant about it? Was it something you thought over and over and over and you just said, I'm just going to say it at right now? Um, yeah, yeah, man, for real, because obviously, you know, when there's like a when there's a death in the family, you really start to change your perspectives on life. You know, you definitely take a lot more things seriously. You, you show more appreciation because, you know, our time is limited on this planet. Right. And so. There had been times where I had already texted my parents, que les quiero mucho, you know, that I love them. But that was just through text. It's not the same as like in person, because in person, you know, emotions involved, there's eye contact, there's like, what's going to happen afterwards, you know? And so that was definitely a big step. Pero lo soltaste tal cual? Or... Yeah, I just I was like, you know what I'm going to say? You know, I, at one point, I want to be able to say this comfortably, you know, make it something that's normal within our household. It's funny that you mention it. I, I'm still, I still struggle with it a little bit. Like the very first time that I told my dad I love you was he was hungover, so he was a little tired, and, and uh, so I said I love you, and he's all like, eh, "Okay, cool, 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 whatever." <laughs> and then when he moved back to Mexico, um, like this was it. Like he is done. He's still gonna be coming back, but his main residency is gonna be in Mexico. And I told him I love you. And it's still hard to say, and I want to normalize it to the point where I, I mean, like I tell my mom, it's so much easier to say to my mom, like, oh, I love you. I, you know, y ella me lo dice. Pero it is, it is one of those things that sort of like that TikTok that you, that you posted uh, about like the butterflies in the sky, da, 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 <laughs> right? Uh, the Reading Rainbow uh, theme song. And I feel like that's the conversation that continues on in my head. Hey, say it, say it now. No, please don't say it. And then I have somebody else in my head saying, all right, right it's now or never. And yeah. then 
sense. Yeah. So it just replays in my head with like 500 different Jose's trying to argue whether or not to say the word. And I have no idea why. If I've already said it twice, it's like, Jose, if you just say it once more or, you know, you normalize it and it's going to be easier for your younger siblings. But pues no. <laughs> yeah. yeah I feel it. For one thing, I don't know why it was a lot easier with my mom, you know, because I always had a close relationship with my mom. We even made a joke out of it. She had told me, um, what was the joke? It was some silly joke. Que, que, que le dijo un globo al otro globo, you know? And she was like, I globe you. And I, I was like, oh my gosh. And so every time we had a phone call, we would end that phone call with that, I globe you, which yeah. is our way of saying, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome that you have that with your mom. And speaking about speaking over the phone or talking to your phones or uh, your parents over the phone, um, is that something that you did more often with your mom than your dad? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Why is it so hard to even just keep, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm speaking from, from my personal experience. It's hard to keep a conversation on the phone with your father figure. Yeah, it's, yeah. <sighs> You know, obviously some conversations are effortless and some are, you know, just go with the flow. But um, I feel like like you're pulling stuff out sometimes. (laughs) When it comes to certain things, I I, sometimes I almost even avoid it, you know, just because me da vergüenza, no sé qué. But yeah, I'm still figuring it out. As we go along, I want to know when was the first time you saw another man cry? And it could have been a fraternity brother, chapter brother, your and your reaction to it, or a family member. Oh, man, you know, that's a good question. I don't know why I have like a specific one that just comes to mind, but I think it was a Thanksgiving one year. It was like at least 10 or 15 years ago. We were living at one of our older houses. And I remember it was just being a rough year for the family, you know? Um, obviously I was young. I didn't understand all of it. Uh, I just remember there's like a lot of, uh, tense moments, maybe about work or, you know, finances, no sé qué. I don't remember, but, you know, we were having Thanksgiving and the vibe just kind of, it was hard to explain. It's just something that you felt. And you, one thing that I really like is that we made it a tradition to, you know, say a prayer before we start eating on Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and it, my dad was actually saying the prayer and he, with just one word, you know, saying gracias a Dios, you know, like saying like one statement, I could feel like all the emotion in his words. I could almost start to see him break down a little and start crying a little, but I felt like there was a part of him that held back and like sucked it up, you know? So that was probably like one of the most vulnerable moments that my dad let out that he feels like he probably shouldn't have. Yeah. 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 And how did that make you feel? Like, were you like, man, like you, here's this man who has so much emotion, I can only see so much of it because obviously he's probably just trying his best to provide for us. It really allowed me to, you know, process my own own emotions and made me realize that I don't have to have a wall always built up. You know, this is our family, our circle, and I should be able to be myself freely. When was the first time you cried in front of others? Like, not as a kid, because obviously I think as kids, we all cry. Mm-hmm. especially to our mom or to our parents or our siblings and whatnot. But when, as a grown man, that you cried in front of others? You know, I think one example that I can think of is this church retreat I, uh, that I went to after, after I graduated college, actually. Um, I was dating my girlfriend for like about a month now, uh, my wife now. And we went to this church retreat that was um, kind of part of the school, but um, anyways, part of the retreat was like towards the end, we would have like this place where 
we would go to open up this this mailbox of letters. I don't I don't remember the exact details, but somehow they had contacted my entire family, um, letting them know that I was at this retreat and they were instructed to write this like letter to me without me knowing. And so when I saw like this, these words, these letters from each of my, my siblings and my parents, I was like, what, what is this? You know, I thought that was some retreat I was going to, I was like, I was just going to get it over with, you know, but it was like my, my, my brother's like legit handwriting. And they were just very, very kind words, you know, being saying things like they were proud of me, that they loved me, that they looked up to me. And that was the first time that I think I had ever seen my brothers open up to me. My parents, you know, write those things about me. I just broke down, man. I couldn't hold it. And I was crying like a baby. And there was just so many people who were attending the retreat in that same room, but I didn't care. I was just crying because I was like, fuck, like, (laughs) I just felt so much love there, you know? And so that was, that was probably a moment where I was broke down. Yeah. And I think it's also part of the healing, you know, I I always, uh, you know, there was always something that they told us in in our chapter. And there was a fraternity brother. He, his name's Yosio Ayanez. And he's from another uh, chapter, Cal Poly. And he, when we cried, because yo también soy chillón, and I would try to hold it in. Yeah. Like not showing emotion and whatnot, because I'm like, that's what a man does. And he's like, do you want to cry? And he, we're the same age, but I feel like this fool's wisdom is like beyond me, you know? Like, yo soy un pinche niño comprado con este güey. He's like, do you want to cry? And I'm like, no. He's like, why? Why don't you want to let down, the, like, let your tears down? He's like, because I'm a man. I don't show weakness. You know, tears, uh, tears is weakness leaving the body. Mm-hmm. So you're healing yourself. You're healing your soul. You're healing your heart. You're losing baggage. And I don't know why that just clicked to me. So every time that like I felt the urge to cry, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to release this weakness out of my body because it does not belong here because I know I am a strong person and these tears are going to help me heal. So and it was interesting to hear that from another man or male. And at the moment, kid, you know, because I'm joining the fraternity at 21. He's also 21. And I'm like, what the hell? Like that is. That is beautiful, you yeah. know, another man <laughs> encouraging you. And we're 21-year-olds over here, según nosotros bien hombrecitos. No, yeah, man, I definitely I definitely relate to that, especially, like, with a lot of the cousins I grew up with. That was, crying would be, like, a sign of weakness, you know. So I would always hold that back. And I always remembered all the times where I felt like I had a rock in my throat. Oh. From holding that cry, you know, I was like, damn it. <laughs> You know what? Ahorita you mentioned a rock. I always felt like if it was a needle stuck in between that I couldn't Uh, swallow. And it's (laughs) the worst feeling ever. It definitely is, man. And it's funny to say that I never really thought I would be saying this, but, you know, as an adult, I actually don't mind letting out that crying. You know, know, I feel like when I've shared intimate moments with my wife, the one person that I've truly opened up to about everything in my past, um, those those cries that I let out, they're almost, they make me feel so much better afterwards. You know, they feel like a ton of bricks has been lifted off my shoulders. And I really do think that's the way to, you know, to maintain and build a relationship is just being, you know, open to that vulnerability. Yeah. So let's move on to now uh, Fabio as a husband, because that's, that's also, I'm pretty sure, a different chapter and a new experience uh, in, into manhood. You've been married how long? 
Uh, it's going to be four years now. I got wow. 2018, summer 2018. So this summer, we four okay. years. So you were what, 23? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was pretty young. <laughs> that, so, okay. So in terms of like the, the I guess, I don't want to say like society nowadays because fuck society telling us when to get married, but you kind of went alongside with what Mexican culture and morals and when you're supposed to get married, you know, at a young age. Yeah. You know, coincide. Like, yo todavía bien pinche treintón, no me he casado. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, man, I just, I I think it was the timing of things. I think, uh, in college, I was in this, you know, I almost would just say toxic relationship. It was a long distance and it didn't work out, obviously. And a point in time where like when I met my wife, you know, it was just like the perfect timing. I feel like we were both looking for each other spiritually. And so I think it was that summer because I met her in March slash April. I think it was the following summer I had already made up my mind about proposing to her because I I just knew that um, this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with you know I had just connected with her on so many levels we shared way too many like intimate moments where it's just you know right like my deal would say cuando uno sabe uno sabe you know and it, it was crazy because you know I didn't really know a lot of other people who were getting married and so um that was uh that was uh, a bit of a little journey there as well was that a shock to your family like oh yeah yeah like like oh yes that's muy joven no they they didn't say that they just never knew they never suspected that i would already pop the question at that point in time you know because you guys were dating what a year and a half yeah basically about that and um it was when was it it was before the summer of the following year I was trying to talk to my dad I was like man how how do I tell my dad that I'm gonna pop the question of this girl you know I had no idea what I was doing man I was like so stressed I was like okay was it was it harder to ask your wife or was it harder to ask your dad for advice Dude, it was it was both, man. It was at the, both at the same time because I was like, who do I ask? Like, I don't know anybody. Um, and I was just making all these assumptions about how things were done in the movies. I was like, well, do I do I talk to her dad, my suegro's dad at first, or do I talk to my dad? How does how does this all work? You know? Yeah, because the Mexican culture is like, oye, tienes que ir a pedir la mano and tienes yeah. que ir a pedirlo con con tus papás and her parents. But I was like, well are you supposed to propose first and then pedir la mano? But technically she already said yes. So like, whatever you guys say, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the the time frame was like just really, really close of like when I told my dad that I was going to propose. And then when I actually proposed, it was probably like within a week or two. Uh, but I think I, I had asked my my wife, that, you know, I popped the question to her first and um, you know, I took her out to like this trip, uh, you know, she had always wanted to go like Montana. So I took her there and it was like a complete shock to her. She had no idea what was going on for her. She thought it was just a graduation present because she graduated that year, uh, not knowing that I had planned this entire, this entire night out, even like purchasing the, the ring at one of the stores, um, trying to keep that a secret, even going through uh, airport security was so scary dude because they had stopped me to like check out my my luggage and i was oh. like oh crap they're taking everything out and my, my wife at the time she's just like watching you know obviously you know it was just happening right. in front of us and i was like please don't take the ring out please don't take the ring out you know <laughs> they have the x-ray there 
you i knew that the lady had seen the ring she saw the rock on that screen because she paused she looked at me she smiled and she just put everything back and i was like oh man she's not like oh okay you know you you take whatever you need in there yeah i was i i knew i like i dodged a bullet that day and it was that same day when we got, had gotten there because we got there early on that evening i was like you know i'm just gonna get it over with i'm gonna do it tonight yeah because i didn't know when which day i was gonna do that and so i did it that night that it was like a sunset and uh, i had written this letter out to her you know obviously professing my love and you know, and tell her why, why I want her to, to marry me, you know? And so when I was reading that, I feel like my, my words were already like getting mumbled up. I was so nervous and I started breaking down myself. I was like, oh crap, that wasn't supposed to happen. You know? But I proposed. Yeah. Um, yeah. She said yes. And it was obviously like probably one of the most memorable nights of our relationship. I'll never what, forget. What about that? That's beautiful that your family was supportive. I want to know on the a retrospect the fraternity were they like whoa you're young like other men your male friends yeah i think there was only one i think one or two who were already like in serious relationships and they were going to be getting married around the same time um so it wasn't too new it's like oh man it's already another one of us getting married basically <laughs> so you felt that support that's that's amazing and you see that as you get older that more male support is such a beautiful thing to witness how has your relationship evolved how have you evolved as a as a man within being in your relationship with your wife dude in so many ways and really I think I'm st still, I'm still in the process of unlearning a lot of things that I learned in my childhood, right? Um, probably not even directly, just things that I saw. And, um, you know, like one thing that comes off the top of, top of my mind is, you know, this last year we moved into our new house and I, we had some landscaping done. Um, I wanted a backyard because for me, part of owning a house, like I was going to take pride in mowing the lawn myself because that's what I did growing up, you know? And so, um, it would be like a hot summer's day, you know, I'd finished with drinking a beer, cold beer. Um, my wife had asked to see if she could use the lawnmower um, that we even recently purchased then. And I was like, nah, I'm going to do this. You know, you go inside and like wash the dishes, you know? Oh. And I was like, oh, damn, I, I didn't notice it at first. And she yeah. was like, okay, you know, like, excuse me, aren't you the one who like calls out this masculinity stuff on social yeah. media? You called me out, bro. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was a good example. Like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And it definitely made me rethink a lot of things of like part of like our everyday lives. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a good, that was a good wake up call then. Yeah, she definitely called you out on that. What do you, well, cause right now, obviously do people ask, obviously siempre preguntan y la novia para cuando y de cuando tienes la novia y la boda para cuando y cuando te vas a la novia y los hijos para cuando is that something now that you get i mean you got three dogs three husbands. yeah I, I i think maybe my wife gets that more you know because like when i go visit like our suegro, suegros um i feel like that stuff was more brought up like towards the beginning um definitely in my household too but ever since we got our dogs um i feel like my parents have almost lost like Oh, hope, but like they knew to just stop asking right now because like, oh, these guys are just busy with their dogs. So 
dude, trust. Those things were definitely brought up, especially with extended family. Uh, just assuming that we're gonna have a kid, like within one, within one or two years of getting married. Um, but no, dude, we did the exact opposite. You know, we were still pursuing grad school and you know starting a business and you know buying a home. So yeah. So now let's delve into that business, you know, Pena Consulting, because it started off as one thing. And I feel like now it's exploded into, uh, I mean, you are the brand. You are the brand. You are the one connecting people. I remember when you started it, you reached out to me and you're like, hey, can you share your story as a first generation uh, uh, Latino? And then what you're doing? And I'm like, oh, this is cool. But now it's sort of like, not just sharing the experiences in college, but also destigmatizing these uncomfortable conversations within the Latinx community. But you're doing it via TikTok dance, and it's just so beautiful to see and witness. Yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate it. It definitely has taken a lot of turns ever ever since like I started the page, like the beginning of last year. Um, obviously, you were there for like you were one of the first ones that had shared a cuento and. Um, it was a. It was gonna be a new platform that I wanted to um, to start that to you know to make it bigger than just being like a small town thing. You know, I wanted to be able to share stories of other first gens like nationwide. And so I was like, oh, I know Jose. Like you know, hopefully he says yes. And when he said yes, I was like, yes, like hell yeah, like let's do it. Yeah. And then um, you know, as as more stories formed, you know, a lot of other people were you know were seeing them, and then some people like were even reaching out to have their stories told. And so. Um, that's when my wife and I realized that, okay, this could be something um, that's not just one person, but really a community. And so it's taken a lot of turns, you know, and aside from like the storytelling, um, like you said, bringing awareness and destigmatizing certain topics, just because I realized that those are part of the first gen journey anyways, you know, like talking about things like toxic masculinity, you know, taking care of our mental health, um, a lot of things like that, that there's just still so much to explore that I want to touch on eventually yeah so talk to us about the core focus of peña consulting because and how can people get involved are they just short storytelling um or is it a network where you connect people to their resources um i would say it's large more largely storytelling um because it's not like we have like uh you know resume building workshops or how to interview workshops we don't we don't have that um you know obviously those things are still valuable but the bigger focus that Benya consulting has done in the past was a mentorship um network which is called first hub and so that's where we pair you know students with professionals like in their desired uh career path right yeah that's that's really what it um what what it's become um you know aside from those two things you know other creating content like on instagram or tiktok about those topics but that's mainly what it is now we talk about entrepreneurship and your benya consulting is about a year and a half old i'm i'm guessing okay um are you have you gotten to the point because now it's a huge platform and it's grown substantially within the year and I mean, you know, I applaud you for all the hard work because you definitely put in work for that. Do you still have your main job and you do Peña Consulting on the side or and is Peña Consulting something that you want to do full time? Yeah. So I actually was doing that full time these last few months. Yeah. So, you know, aside from like the the first gen community, it is still like a consulting uh, firm, you know, where I provide, you know, my my skills in finance and in business to actual like businesses and corporations. 
And so I had left my last full-time employer in October. Um, and I've been, you know, focusing on the business and school on the side up until now, I actually just got a new job, um, which I start on Monday. And so hey. that's going to change up things quite a bit. Um, and so I'm still going to be deciding on how I want to, uh, you know, possibly shift priorities. Yeah, no, uh, but I just find that find that amazing that you're you took that risk because you believe so much in your consulting firm and obviously you built up a network where you can go to business and see hey the value of first generation um latinos aquí en los estados unidos because not a lot of people are doing that they just kind of encompass like latinos in one bubble if you can say hola or if you look brown then you're in this bubble but within that bubble there's so many niche there's so many niches, uh, and I'm glad that you're able to highlight that because businesses definitely need to know that there's niches that they can explore and we can benefit off economically as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say, what is your goal for Peña Consulting? I want to ask, what is your goal for Peña Consulting? I know a scholarship was in the works. Yeah, so we uh, yeah we actually did kick off the the scholarship this last year. I don't know why I keep on forgetting that. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like a huge thing, obviously. Uh, yeah. We were able to raise four thousand dollars this last year, um, which was awesome because you know thanks to the community, there are a lot of and a lot of small businesses on Instagram um, decided to partner with us to raise the funds, and so we want to keep that going for sure. Um, I haven't announced this yet, but instead of doing it on January 1st, the, the award giving, we're going to award it on National First Gen College Day, which is in November. And so we're just going to push things up a little bit quicker. But that's something that we want to grow eventually. I don't know if it'll become its own nonprofit, possibly just to, you know, seek those um, extra sponsorships from other corporations. Um, but that's something that I know could be doable in the future. And then obviously like the mentorship network, uh, once I have the spare time again, I want to, you know, put some more focus on that and help out other students. Awesome. Thank you for that. Because, uh, definitely starting a scholarship is, is not easy and even raising the funds and you were able to do that with the help of corporations and obviously your followers and friends and family we try to do well we're still trying to do a scholarship and I think we went about it the I don't want to say there's a right or wrong way right Mm -hmm. so we started selling merch we sold um uh sweaters that say pay me what I'm worth because I'm worth it so what we wanted to do is we wanted to raise scholarships uh for men and women uh, but obviously we were going to pay the women or give them the scholarship up of $1,370 versus a man $1,000 flat. That would have been like their scholarship. And people were like, oh, why? Why $1,370? Basically to highlight the discrepancy between Latinas pay versus Latino pay, uh-huh. 37 cent difference. So hence why we started selling payment what I'm worth. But it's also expensive to you know, to have merch <laughs> and good quality merch. So that's something that's still impossible. We're still trying to figure out other ways to generate income so we can possibly uh, in the near future give out a scholarship. And you were able to do that. So I'm going to have to learn from you. Before <laughs> we end this, one of the things that I started doing is journaling. And I really suck at it. And I can't just like grab a paper and then start writing down. So 
I have prompted questions from which are self-reflection from we're not really strangers. It's a deck of cards. So I'm going to pull one out and I'm going to read it to you. And look, just so you know, it's random and you're going to answer it. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. This is, I mean, you already have a wife, but. What do you have to offer in a romantic relationship and what do you want to receive? Ah, that's a good question. But obviously, it, I, I think, in a, you know, it being respect, you know, I think that's, that's crucial in a relationship. Obviously, the number one thing would be trust, but I feel like that's oversaid now. And I think respect is, is more going to be in the worth it for the long term because you know to love somebody it, it's something that you do it's not something that you say and that's obviously something that i've learned over the years but you know con continuously putting in the efforts and respecting your partner um is going to be reciprocated it, you know if you if you treat your wife well your partner um obviously you, i i'd like to say you, you know you'd get that back and if you give them the opposite then that's what you're going to get out of it that's that's a beautiful way to answer it um Amigo, hermano, where can people find you? Right now, they can find me in my office. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, they can find me obviously on Instagram at peña.consulting. Um, you know, we have a website too, peñanco.com. But obviously, why would you go there? You know, <laughs> the social yeah. media is on Instagram or obviously TikTok. But um, yeah, and then my email is public as well. Like if anybody ever wants to reach out, um, you know, to just to say what's up or, you know, possibly collaborate um, any inquiries. It's Fabio at penyanco.com. Yeah. And we'll obviously put all that information in the description notes, but I want to thank you so much for your time and opportunity and uh, for, for allowing us to get to know you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Esto es Salud Podcast. Love y'all.